This yours? No. Your mother said she found it in your closet. Uh, I don't know. One of the guys must have- uh, Must have what? Look, Dad, it's not mine. My... Where did you hear about Dad, it? Dad, I- Answer me. Who taught you about dare? This was a thing, all right? I learned it by listening to This Was a Thing. Parents who listen to This Was a Thing have children who listen to This Was a Thing. This was a thing. This was a thing. The movie cruising with Al Pacino. Hi, I'm Ray. And I'm Rob. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. On today's episode, we are looking at the school program D.A.R.E. Oh my God. D-A-R-E. Now, this is a thing because in the history of millennial American education, there has been no more iconic program, maybe reading Goosebumps in exchange for Pizza Hut, hmm. than D.A.R.E. And its intentions were good, but like many adult-created programs for kids, it's a little out of touch in its methodology, but was it effective? Let's see. But before we uh, take a look at uh, the program of D.A.R.E., I'm so curious, Mr. Hebel, child of the Los Angeles school system, did you take D.A.R.E.? Oh, yeah. I was definitely part of D.A.R.E. program in fifth grade. And then when I got to middle school, I was supposed to be there again in seventh grade, but they had cut the program. And I was like, well, I guess I don't have to take D.A.R.E. a second time. And in seventh grade, the D.A.R.E. shirts were not as cool as the original ones. Oh, really? Yeah. The, se- the seventh grade ones had like some like cartoon tiger on it that was <gasps> like the D.A.R.E. Yes. Or, Darren yeah. the Lion. Lion. Yes, Lion. Darren. We're going to talk about him. Darren. Yeah, oh, Darren. Go- yeah, get Clever, it? clever, get clever. It? Call him by his name. Come on. Call me by your name, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> Meow. So you remember taking it. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners remember taking it, too, if they had gone to school during this uh, time period. Um, but, Ray, as life went on for you, did it didn't you- work. Okay, great. Uh, well, we'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But first, we need to go to battle, America, and fight the war on drugs. Oh, God. Are you prepped? Yeah. Do you have a helmet? For what? If I fall from getting too effed up? Okay, okay, okay. He can't be the Yeah! He can't be the general anymore. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, my God! It feels so good! We haven't even gotten on the plane yet. Oh, boy. Folks, as you know, since the beginning of time, humans have experimented with hallucinogenic and mind-altering substances, the greatest one probably being alcohol and pharmaceuticals. But the others, well, they don't have powerful lobbies protecting them. So let's focus on getting rid of those types of drugs. Now, uh, that's going to be the big theme here. And the government's reaction is always going to be getting rid of the drugs as opposed to fixing the situation that leads leads people to take the drugs in the first place. It's true that during the 1800s and 1900s, addiction to substances beyond alcohol had emerged. Morphine, of course, it was given to wounded soldiers, and that led to morphine addiction. Uh, heroin was sold as cough syrup for irritable babies. By Bayer. By Bayer. Bronchitis, insomnia, nervous conditions, hysteria, menstrual cramps, and vapors. Heroin could treat all that. That led, of course, to mass addiction, as well as opium commonly being found in people's medicine cabinets. Of course, nose candy, 
cocaine. Uh-huh. Now, over the years, various laws came and went trying to stop alcohol and cannabis. And while the alcohol lobby was powerful, it was clear that the younger generation was more interested in mind-altering substances like cannabis and acid. Up until the Cultural Revolution of the mid-1960s, drugs were something that were done in secret and with shame, like the 1936 classic film covered by Ray on season one of this show, Reefer Madness. Here's the Reefer Madness trailer. Marijuana. The burning weed with its roots in hell. In this film, you will see the ease with which this vicious plant can be grown in your neighbor's yard, rolled into harmless-looking cigarettes, hidden in an innocent shoe or watch case. Something had to be done to control these youngsters who love pot, were anti-war, anti-alcohol, anti-America, damn it. And in 1970, Congress passed the Comprehensive Drug Abuse Prevention and Control Act of 1970. Now, truthfully, there were many drug overdoses and there were bad decisions being made when people were under the influence of, of drugs. But I think alcohol was more harmful and still is more harmful. But for some reason, that has not been attacked, but I digress. This act, if you remember our Dr. Feelgood episode, mm-hmm. made doctors keep better records of where their medicine was going, but the big thing it did more than anything was to divide controlled substances into five levels, each level showing the potential for abuse, accepted medical use, and accepted safety under medical supervision, which we had not had previously. Does that all make sense? Mm-hmm. Depending on what level the drug is on, this is, this is how... Um, this is what it's going to do to you. So um, level five, ironically, is the lowest level. And that means that if you're a level five drug, that means abusing the drug may lead to mild mental or physical addiction. An example of this would be something like Lyrica. Schedule four, because they call it schedules, not levels. Mm-hmm. Schedule four is abusing the drug may lead to moderate mental or physical addiction. That's things like Xanax, Librium, and Rohypnol that somehow is isn't, on a, on a level Rohypnol four. Rohypnol Rufi? Yes. Schedule three, this is a medium. We're getting closer to the more addictive things. Abusing the drug can cause severe mental addiction or moderate physical addiction. That's things like ketamine, secanol, and nembutol. So you're saying that something that is referred to as going down a K-hole is only a schedule three drug. That is correct. Okay. Schedule two. Abusing the drug can cause severe physical and mental addiction. These are things like Adderall, cocaine, and meth. Now, you might be asking yourself, hey, there's a drug I haven't heard mentioned yet. That's a Schedule 1 drug. That is a drug that is not safe to use even under medical supervision, and that was labeled as uh, things like heroin, LSD, and cannabis. Cannabis was looked at as a Level 1 or a Schedule 1 drug. It's so crazy to me. Well, you're going to find out why in a second. Oh, good. President Nixon uh, declared drugs as public enemy number one. Apparently nothing else at the time, just drugs. Um, Not the situations prompting the people to take the drugs, but the drugs themselves. In 1973, he created the DEA, which stands for the Drug Enforcement Administration. Now, while some people say that Nixon was incredibly anti-drug and led the war on drugs, there's a couple of things also to remember that he did that were actually helpful to drug abusers. Number one, he repealed the federal two to 10 year mandatory minimum sentences for marijuana that had been around since the Johnson administration. 
Administration, and he started federal demand uh, reduction programs and drug treatment programs, which is actually, mm-hmm. you know, a good thing. However, in 1994, John Ehrlichman, if you're a Watergate fan- I was going to say, I know that name. You might know the name John Ehrlichman. He was the former counsel to President Nixon, and he said, quote, the Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. And drug use continued to rise no matter how many attempts there were by the government to stop it. And the idea that cannabis was a level five crime made many people get tossed into prison for many, many years and destroyed many lives. I think we see that today that there are still so many people sitting in prison uh, because of marijuana convictions. Now the target drug demographic was children and youngsters. So you have to keep the children and youngsters away from drugs. And how are you going to do that? Well, the first thing there was were things like after school specials. Uh, Remember after school specials? Oh, yeah. Would you be so kind maybe as to tell our listeners what an after school special was? It was just, uh, it it had something to do, uh, it had a moral story to teach and the kind of put it uh, like a, you know this student was doing this uh because they needed to do this but watch what happens when this goes wrong i mean it could deal with teen pregnancy could deal with drugs it could deal with getting your driver's license yeah it was all, all and usually Always featured in scott bayo moral exactly yes, yes. or laura dern young and laura, laura dern. dern one of the most famous ones is from 1982 and it's called desperate lives starring a very young Helen Hunt. Cindy, Kathy, Jane, Mary, every single one of you knows better than this. Miss Phillips, some of us are not involved. Yeah, Miss Phillips, none of us are involved. Mellow, okay? No biggie. Besides, we're only Jays. She means grass. Marijuana. Damn it, I am not your parents. I was here just eight years ago. Only it was straight cigarettes then. Adults do liquor, even toke. Everybody does it. Everybody's anybody. Now, in 1980, Ronald Reagan got elected, and he ushered in the Comprehensive Crime Control Act of 1984 with massive bipartisan support. That's when people could actually do things. And that expanded penalties towards possession of cannabis, established a federal system of mandatory minimum sentences, and established procedures for civil asset forfeiture. From 1980 to 1984, the federal annual budget for the FBI's drug enforcement units went from... 8 million to 95 million. What? So from 1980 to 1984, it went from 8 million to 95 million. From Elizabeth Hinton's 2017 book, uh, she says, quote, he led Congress in criminalizing drug users, especially African-American drug users, by concentrating and stiffening penalties for the possession of the crystalline rock form of cocaine known as crack, rather than the crystallized methamphetamine that White House officials recognized was as much of a problem among low-income white Americans. So they could have gone after both, and for some reason they went after crack as opposed to meth. I wonder why. Even Vice President Bush wanted to get more involved and bring in the CIA to help uh, with drug enforcement. Uh He was the head of the CIA for a while. But the face of anti-drugs in the 1980s was Ronald Reagan's very own wife, Mommy Reagan, Nancy Reagan. Nancy was not the most beloved of first ladies, and she was perceived to be 
cold, condescending, and elitist, and it was beginning to actually take a toll on her husband's persona. She needed something to soften her image, and what better way was that than to put her with kids? And so she focused on the war on drugs, and she said, quote, understanding what drugs can do to your children, understanding peer pressure, and understanding why they turn to drugs is the first step in solving the problem. The story goes that Mrs. Reagan was asked once by a young girl at an elementary school what to do if she took drugs. And Mrs. Reagan told the girl this. Say yes to your life. And when it comes to drugs and alcohol, just say no. Just say no, which is what Nancy said a lot to her realtor when asked if minorities could move into her neighborhood. The truth is, it's a phrase from advertising executives at the New York offices of Needham, Harper, and Steers USA. Oh, they're great. And I will bet you anything that little girl was a plant. (laughs) But it gave Nancy a cause, and it made her seem like she cared, which I'm sure she did. Luckily, none of those kids had AIDS. What I find so interesting about the Just Say No campaign is, this is just my opinion, it just once again makes people feel like very out of touch and it's it's sort of that like well that's what you do it's it's got it has this like very rich entitled quality to yeah. it well you just say no like or like when when they were when i think it was Mitt Romney who was like you know how, how do i start a business well you know get a $30,000 loan from your debt you know well, what i no, mean no trump said i started a million dollar loan from my father oh, too oh that's right and you know it's one of those things where it's just so out of touch mm-hmm. yeah like why can't poor people get a job yeah it's you know what I mean. Well, I mean it's well, it's like also like with like you know depression. You can oh just just walk it just off. Just walk it off. So anyway, so this just say no campaign though that so those three words sort of became the primary force, and because the president was advocating it so much, and the first lady was advocating it so much, and it was a genuine problem. I mean, you could look at all the gang warfare that was happening in L.A. at the time over drugs. You could look at what was happening in Miami because of drugs. So this was a, a, an actual problem that needed solving. But I think they were sort of going about it in the wrong. Yeah. way i think i think when somebody takes drugs or if somebody and please forgive me if i'm wrong i feel like if somebody takes drugs or becomes an addict for whatever reason i think there's probably something going on in terms of mental health or something in the person's physical environment that's probably causing them to find some sort of release and that's the way that they release it does that make sense yeah or a place to escape to that seems to be the big issue that nobody seems to to latch in on if like i said if there was one area that seemed extra violent because of drugs it was in la california rival gangs constantly fighting over territory and drugs and many innocent people's lives were lost in gang warfare as addiction rates soared either from overdosing of drugs having bad drugs the spread of hiv and aids on contaminated needles as well as drive-by shootings so how could they protect children from drugs as well as to help stamp out the actual drug problem well they're going to take it to the schools and in 1983 the los angeles unified school district and chief of police daryl gates decided to get together and create a program in which police officers could go into the schools and talk to elementary kids directly about drugs this is from daryl gates quote we had buy programs in the schools where undercover officers would buy drugs from students we kept buying more and more it was appalling depressing we couldn't get through them we finally, we couldn't get through them all we finally said i he goes i finally said this is crazy we've got to do something daryl also might have wanted to soften his image a little bit during this time because in 1982 he said quote blacks might be more likely to die from chokeholds because their arteries do not open as fast as they do in normal people oh my god uh, and he was suspended i think for two days for that so he he might have been looking for something to help soften his image a well little i'll tell bit. you one thing i bet that those two days were really full of reflection absolutely i'm sure he really 
thought about his words and the the things they uh, they they said they they implied. <laughs> yeah. and uh, I'm sure he took a lot of time to reflect. Yeah, those two days. We, I'm sh- two days is a good time for you to really think about what you did. And learn from what you said two days. It was a Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, I was going to say it was probably the weekend. Yeah. Uh, and they still paid him, I'm sure. Yeah. Dr. Ruth Rich was a health curriculum administrator for the Los Angeles Unified School District. And she got on board because she was inspired by a team over at USC that was researching and developing a program that was going to go into the schools and also teach kids about drugs. That program was called... Smart. Oh. Doctors at USC think this is a fantastic idea, and they're very excited that they're going to get to go in and teach students about drugs. And Daryl Gates said, nope, you're not doing it. Just the police are going to go in and teach the kids. And he said, quote, there's a gap between the street and the classroom. Police officers are believable on this subject. When it comes to drugs, they're more credible than a teacher. And the rest of the smart team was none too happy that an experimental program was being turned over to police officers who had really no knowledge of anything beyond the drug on the street. You don't know about my teacher. My teacher knows enough about (laughs) drugs. I was going to say, there's a lot of teachers. My teacher does drugs. And so Rich uh, created her own curriculum without the head of the researcher's team supervision, and she created the original 17-lesson elementary school D.A.R.E. curriculum. D.A.R.E. stands for Drug Abuse Resistance Education. So once again, she has created this program without anyone from smart supervising her. And they were also a little confused as to like, hey, don't you want to like have somebody here help you? She's like, no, I'm fine. I got it. And it wouldn't be from their teacher or parent, but a person in uniform who had stories to tell kids. Uh, <laughs> I got stories. And it would be uh, aimed for the little ones to scare them right from the beginning. It would be in elementary school. It wasn't in middle school. It wasn't in high school. Started off in elementary school. And it wouldn't be interactive, the beginning. Every week, for 17 weeks, a police officer would come in and give you a lesson. And you better shut the fuck up and do it. shut the fuck up. They could answer questions, but there wasn't any sort of, like, interactive quality to dare, which we did because eventually it changed. But in the beginning, that's not how it started. The new curriculum was based upon prevailing prevention science at the time, prevention. And it emphasized teaching specific information about specific drugs and their negative effects. So here's cannabis. Here's what it does to you. Never anything positive. Remember, it was always like, here's all the bad things that can happen to it. It was a series of lectures about what drugs were out there, how you got them, what they did to you, how to refuse them. And most importantly, how to narc on your friends and family who did do them. Uh, Here, let the kids tell you a little bit about D.A.R.E. But my mom and dad helped get this D.A.R.E. anti-drug program in our school. It's run by specially trained police. Now Now we're we're saying saying no to to drugs. Get D.A.R.E. in your kid's school. Unlike all other drug prevention curricula, LAPD police officers were trained to teach the D.A.R.E. curriculum, thereby putting a local human face on drug prevention in schools. The original program in 1983 involved only 10 police officers and served 50 Los Angeles schools. Some officers would drive up in Porsches and Ferraris and say that those cars once belonged to drug kingpins who were now in prison. It was even covered on the local news out here in L.A., D.A.R.E. was. One of the last things these 35th graders will complete before their Christmas break is the Drug Abuse Resistance Program, or DARE. What makes this one different, though, is that this is a private parochial school. 
What will happen if you do take drugs? Then you can't do things you want to do. You could die, you go to jail, and you'll have a crummy life. Drugs like mess up your mind, and if you do drugs, you won't have many friends anymore. Are you ever going to do drugs? No. Because of the high drug epidemic in L.A., soon a D.A.R.E. program was created for middle schoolers in 1984 and for high schoolers in 1989. And in 1989, it also became a nonprofit. So the uh, model changed, and uh, now it's also interactive. It was interactive, which is what we remember. That's fun. This is where the cop would actually bring a student up in front of the class and try to pressure them into buying drugs. Here's their promo video. D.A.R.E. is based on the belief that a young person will choose to avoid drugs and alcohol abuse if they are given both the right information and the skills they need to resist the pressure to use illegal drugs or to abuse alcohol it is taught to fifth and sixth grade students by trained uniformed peace officers hey Carrie, i got some cigarettes in my locker and i thought maybe after school i'd go out back and smoke some would you like to come out back with me after school no thank you oh come on no oh don't be a chicken come on try some no i have something else to do okay very good By the mid-1980s, other police departments and school districts across the United States wanted these programs in their school, and D.A.R.E. began to provide the 17-lesson curriculum to other places across the United States. It's also a nice way, I'm sure, for the teachers to (laughs) kill some time. Yeah, exactly. Teachers are like, okay, I got D.A.R.E. tomorrow. I can really go buck wild tonight. (laughs) Uh, When do we get to the lesson where the class whispers for a bit? (laughs) School's out for podcasts. Ray. I thought that was pretty good. Me too. You know what else is good, Ray? Being one of our Patreon subscribers. How does one do that? Head on over to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N and search for This Was A Thing and set a monthly donation. Even a dollar a month helps us. Your contributions help us continue doing what we are doing and help you relive your youth. That might not be a good thing for some people, Rob. Who? Vitorino. Oh. Now, the cornerstones of teaching D.A.R.E. were self-esteem and resistance. So, number one, that you have enough self-confidence in yourself that you don't need to go and do drugs. And two, knowing how to resist them. The wonderful channel Weird History said that every generation needs a boogeyman. And it seems like drugs were that from the 1980s. And, of course, death from drugs were in the news quite often, not just with real people, but a lot of celebrities as well. Good evening. I'm Marty McNeely for WGN News. Comic actor John Belushi. She died today at a rented hotel bungalow in the Hollywood Hills. Authorities say that cause of death is believed to have been a heart attack. Fire department and of course, there was a uh, couple of very famous commercials from this time. Remember this one with an egg hitting a skillet? Mm-hmm. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? And of course, there was a kid in his room when... Nebishi Dad comes in. Look, Dad, it's Where not did you get it? Dad, Answer me. Who taught you how to do this stuff? You, all right? I learned it by watching you. Parents who use drugs have children who use drugs. Imagine that guy doing drugs. That's what I was going to say. The most that man does is like Pepto-Bismol. He's just like <laughs> pounding one of those pink bottles. 
<sighs> and then there were uh, a lot of celebrities who also like to do public service announcements. Oh, like uh, this guy. Yes! This is crack. Rock cocaine. It isn't glamorous or cool or kid stuff. It's the most addictive kind of cocaine and it can kill you. What's really bad is nobody knows how much it takes. Dare was sweeping the country, folks, with his adorable lion mascot, Darren. There were fun neon-colored pens. They were actually really good with their merch. There was a pencil. I don't know if you remember this. It said, too cool to do drugs. But yeah. what, what happened is, is as he would sharpen it, the words would disappear. So finally, at the end, it just said, do drugs. Turned into a joint. Turned into a joint. Uh, there were backpacks and stickers. But most importantly... The shirt. Yes, the shirt. Mm-hmm. That was a staple of fashion for us millennials, which is now ironically displayed at Hot Topics across the United States. It's a black t-shirt with red lettering, which read, dare, which seems like I dare you to take the drug. <laughs> By 1988, President Reagan declared a national dare day, and soon 75% of all American schools had a dare program associated with it, and it was entirely supported by tax dollars. Dare also soon won a $140,000 grant from the Department of Justice to expand the program on the national level. Ten years later, 1993, because remember it started in 83, 5.5 million students would be enrolled in a dare class, and now 11,000 cops would be teaching. Holy shit. In 10 years. And uh, Congress passed the Drug-Free Schools and Communities Act of 1986, which set aside 10% of state grants to governors for police-staffed in-school drug education programs. And they mentioned D.A.R.E. by name. So like that, D.A.R.E. became a national, nationally funded movement. And uh, by 1992, the Drug-Free Schools and Communities Act money accounted for almost $10 million nationally. By 1995, D.A.R.E. estimated its own costs at $200 million. Oh my God. Yet, unfortunately, the numbers pretty much stayed the same in terms of drug experimentation. Why? We'll talk about that in a second. In 1991, an independent review of D.A.R.E. realized that it was not helping. And in fact, there was something now called the boomerang effect, which meant it was doing the adverse, which was people were now not only not listening to the program, but now they were listening to the drugs being described and wanting to try the mm-hmm. drugs being described. Because remember, if you're if you're going through stuff and you're hearing what this you're hearing what it does to you. You know, it makes you forget who you are. You know, you become free. You become, you know, you you stop the, the, the ability to have rational thinking. For a lot of students, hearing something like that might be something to them that they find appealing. So it started to develop what was known as a boomerang effect. But uh, not only did this independent review know that D.A.R.E. wasn't working, you know who also knew that D.A.R.E. wasn't working? The people from the SMART program back at USC of course. because they had data that started a little bit earlier than when D.A.R.E. got instituted and they said, hey, it's boomeranging. And they realized that what D.A.R.E. took uh, was the prototype of the curriculum. And the smart people said, we went through 30 versions of the curriculum. So a lot of the stuff that D.A.R.E. lifted was antiquated in our view. So USC, out of the goodness of their hearts, goes to D.A.R.E. and says, hey, this is what you need to do to revise the methods to make it work effectively. And 
they were rejected. Yeah, I'm sure. It worked, damn it. And what we have now is a case of science versus instinct, research versus instinct, which is the numbers are saying it's not working, but my gut is telling me that it is. So Dare said to USC, thanks, but no thanks. Yet if it wasn't working, why wasn't funding being pulled? The idea was, and this was uh, from an anonymous uh, representative in one of the newspapers I was reading, said, quote, no one's going to risk their political future by doing anything other than standing up with the parents. Parents vote. And parents loved D.A.R.E. Why do you think that is, Ray? Because it's because then they wouldn't have to teach their kids You're about doing drugs. Absolutely right, Ray. As Glenn Levant, the former LAPD officer who, did direct, who directed D.A.R.E. in the early 90s, told the LA Times in 1993, the 10th anniversary, quote, knocking D.A.R.E. is like kicking your mother or saying that apple pie doesn't taste good. <laughs> For 10 years. What? I've been living and breathing dare, and it's all been about helping kids. That's our program, and that's what we're going to keep doing. But science doesn't lie, and dare really couldn't provide a lot of science, even saying our numbers are the numbers you don't see meaning it was that effective they're not taking the drugs, therefore they have no numbers. Uh, but unfortunately, it started to get leaked out into national news that D.A.R.E. was not so effective. But so far, there's little evidence that anything is working. Last week, a popular drug education program, the D.A.R.E. program, was deemed ineffective by the people who run it. Surveys indicate that hardcore drug use is up, drug-related violence is up, and visits to treatment centers are down. And the White House drug czar's own office was gutted, its staff cut, in the recent budget cutbacks. Richard Gisbert, ABC News, New York. So let's go back now to Daryl Gates. In the early 1990s, D.A.R.E. was going to face an issue, and that was its creator, Daryl Gates, the chief of police who made D.A.R.E. his pet project. You see, Mr. Gates was in real hot water because in 1992, there were the L.A. riots. Uh, and if you remember, that was the reaction to the Rodney King verdict. And while L.A. burned, where was chief of police Gates? He was at a political dinner. So it didn't look very well, nor did his racist attitudes from before. And when Mayor Richard Reardon took over in L.A., he demanded more cops on the street, meaning they couldn't be in the classroom. Now, there's also some more pushback against Dare because in 1991, Gary Peterson, a father in Colorado, he founded Parents Against Dare, and he made the legal point that parents needed to consent to their kids learning in dare wow and he said quote i completely pulled my child out of the school system because of this his issue was the fundamental psychological flaw of dare quote the notion that children should be told they have a choice about using drugs there's no choice here mm -hmm. don't do it psychiatrists got involved and i don't know where they got these psychiatrists from dr william colson said quote children have a choice about drug use only in the same sense that they have a choice to drive up the off-ramp of highway five they can do that but it's adult stupidity to teach them it's a legitimate choice children don't need to be told they're wonderful they need to be given direction i think dr colson uh might have had some issues growing up. Highway 5 is by Magic Mountain Studios. That's, that's true. That's true. Wow. Oh, great. Really? Uh, and then the National Institute of Justice hired the Research Triangle Institute to do a meta-analysis of the existing evaluations of D.A.R.E.'s efficacy. And they said, quote, D.A.R.E.'s limited influence on adolescent drug use behavior contrasts with the program's popularity and prevalence. An important implication is that D.A.R.E. could be taking the place of other 
more beneficial drug use curricula that adolescents could be receiving. Basically, this is a waste of time and money. <laughs> then uh, the National Institute of Justice refused to publish the results. Good. And they issued a press release saying, quote, not only is D.A.R.E. widespread and popular, but demand for it is high. D.A.R.E.'s appeal cuts across racial ethnic and socioeconomic lines with considerable support for expansion of the program. So when RTI sought publication in an independent journal, the American Journal of Public Health, Dare pressured the journal against publishing it and got involved with $41,000 in legal fees. What? The journal's editor, Sabine Beisler, said, quote, Dare has tried to interfere with the publication of this. They tried to intimidate us. Um, Dare tried to cling to relevance, but after more studies emerged saying nothing was changing, except in the area of self-esteem, people felt like they had more self-esteem afterwards, which is great. The Department of Education said in 2000 that only evidence-based programs would be eligible for funding out of the Department of Education's drug education budget. Dare was not on that list. Oh, damn. Because there's no evidence based in it. Then in 2001, uh, the SG said the same exact thing. But oh boy, in 2003, a new group looked at Dare, GAO, which stands for the Government Accountability Offices. Their question was, how is this $200 million to $2 billion of tax money operation, how is it doing? And the answer was, not good. Uh, no changes. In fact, they also found the boomerang fact effect in place, and they were humiliated. The mayor of Salt Lake City said Dare was a fraud on the people of America. And, of course, after that, their budget dried up, and they went into debt in 2010. And it was time then for some rebranding. And now it's called Keeping It Real. Oh, God. Refuse, Explain, Avoid, and Leave. And it focuses on decision-making skills, all with evidence— not just drugs, but all moments people want to leave a bad situation. So this is things from feeling that your your body is in some sort of danger, whether you're in an emotional state that's uh, fragile. You're at a party where you don't know anyone. You're at a party where you don't know anybody. So the drugs and stuff are kind of included in all of this, but it's now really about like creating boundaries. And scientific Scientific American says that it's valid and it's doing good work because it's about doing as opposed to just listening. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, which yeah, was yeah. what the other D.A.R.E. program was. It's a change indeed. So keeping it real is still in the school system. It seems to be doing a lot of good work for mental health. But my favorite part of D.A.R.E., I'll tell you after the break. Oh. This was a thing. This was a thing. And now, this is a sketch. Okay, class, uh, today's lesson is about how to say no, no matter how tempting the offer might be. So I'm going to need a volunteer to come help me out. Ooh, right, come on up, Matthew. Okay, class, this is Matthew. He's a third grader, but today he's going to be a big, scary drug dealer. And I've seen his mom's car, so this is really possible. Now, uh, Matthew, I want you to come up to me and offer me drugs. I'm going to pretend to be, uh, I'm not a police officer now. Just one of you regular students, okay? I want you to come up, offer me drugs, and I'm going to show all of you how to refuse them, okay? Okay. Okay. Hi. Hi. Do you want to buy some drugs? No, I'm good. Drugs are for losers. You sure? They're good drugs. No. Drugs will harm my body, and I don't want that. Do you want to play basketball instead? No, I, 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 I need to sell more drugs this week. We can do an eighth for 20. Bye. Wait, come back. Come, come back, come back. Really? No one is selling an eighth for 20. I know, but I am. My cousin Julio got some stuff that was left the T-Bone's porch, and 
He grabbed it and he gave it to me. It's, it's pure as shit, man. How, how pure are we talking? Smell it. Come on, smell that. Pure like flour, man. It's grade A fish scale, man. Come on. Hey, man. You're a friend. Come on, rub some on your gums, man. Fuck, that's good. Okay, here's 20. Get your hands up! Get on the fucking floor! What, is that a water gun? You heard me, motherfucker! Get your face on the fucking floor and keep your motherfucking hands in the fucking air! You're dirty! Miss Carol! Search him! You're a fucking rat, you know that? Get this fucking piece of shit out of here! Bringing that into my classroom? Fuck no! Oh boy, snack time. Thank you. This was a sketch. Ah, this is my favorite lesson from Dare. It's one of the 17 units. It's called the three R's. Recognize, resist, report. And if you took Dare, you'll remember that they instilled in the kitties that drugs were bad. And you should tell a teacher or a police officer if you see someone taking drugs. And the kids did. Many of them narked on their parents. <laughs> so you see, the D.A.R.E. officer would always bring in a box called D.A.R.E. box in which kids could leave anonymous notes for the police. Now, officers were instructed that if a student makes a disclosure related to drug use, the officer should report the information to further authorities, both the school oh my God. and the police. This apparently applies whether the, quote, drug use was legal or illegal, harmless or harmful. In a number of communities across the country, students have been enlisted by the D.A.R.E. officers as informants against their parents like oh in 2010 God. when a fifth grader brought joints to school for the police which belonged to his parents who were arrested and to me that is the major flaw of dare first of all yes this 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 idea going back to like the nancy reagan idea of just say no just doesn't work it just doesn't work no and the fake situations that people that these teachers and these policemen came up with is so unlike any situation I'll be honest with you. I cannot remember a time where I was offered drugs and told, oh, you're a chicken if you if you can't do it or you're a wimp that you can't do it. Maybe that happened to other people. I don't remember that ever happening to me. It's like that Steve Buscemi thing where it's like, I am a teenager. Have you seen yes. that? Yeah. It's like it's a bunch of t- uh, officers going like, okay, well, what would a what would a fifth grader who's high on crank say? <laughs> I yeah, I feel like they all watch like bad episodes of Dragnet. You know what yeah. I mean? And then or Hill Street Blues, and then we're like, oh, that's that's how they talk. Oh, it's obviously how they talk. Yeah, and it's and it's not and it's not like that at all. So I don't know what they were trying to do, and. I think that once again, the major issue was it wasn't the fact that you were taking the, it wasn't the fact that the drug was in your body. It was what led up to the moment for you to take the drug. Mm-hmm. That was the issue. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was something that they couldn't understand. Yes, I think it was great. They explained what the effects of it were. So people knew about that going into it. But this idea that, oh, you can just say no or that, oh, you know, be a broken record, give the cold shoulder. It just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. But the big thing to me that I couldn't understand with their was there were no levels. Everything was equal. So me taking pot was equal to me drinking, to me doing cocaine, to me doing meth. Like everything was equal. E- <laughs> Duh. There was a no tolerance policy. But I think the idea should have been like, hey, if you start, you know, th- this is where you could eventually end up. I know there's that with that idea of like the gateway drug. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. You know, I take pot. That's going to lead to this. It's going to lead to that. But everything was equal. That, you know, if I smoke pot, it's as bad as me putting heroin into my system. And that's just not 
the case. And I don't understand when they were presented with information of, hey, we can you need to change the curriculum that they said, no, apparently their egos were too big. They wanted to save kids, but they also wanted to say save their own hides. I should also say we might see dare again, because even though it's not helpful, old people love it. And a big advocate of it was former attorney general Jeff Sessions. Who of said, course. quote, despite research to the contrary, I still believe dare works. Oh, perfect. Uh, so, folks, that is the story of Dare. It was Ugh. a pretty expensive experiment. Luckily, it seems like keeping it real has come out of it, which seems to be, you know, going in the right direction. And now I think it's ironic that people like stoners will wear the Dare shirt to sort of mock it and make fun of it. I want to get a keeping it real shirt. I can get you one. Oh, quick, 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 quick. What did real stand for? R-E-A-L. What did it stand for? Resistance. Expectations. Uh, illusions, legality. You were so close. Refuse, explain, avoid, and leave. Uh, okay. Good job on that game. Do you want to play another game? Oh, God. Is it more acronyms? No, no, no. It's going to be Mark Schroeder. M-A-R. What do you think M-A-R-K stands no, for? No, 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 man. It's Mark. It's, it's his name. It's Mark. Oh. It's not an acronym. It's more just Mark. Okay. Mm well, let's find out. This was a thing, and now it's a quiz. This is a This Was a Quiz. Mark Schroeder. Mark Schroeder, do you remember being in a D.A.R.E. program as a young child? I was not indoctrinated into the D.A.R.E. program. It was a, around me, but I never took I don't remember being in a, in a thing. But it's funny. A lot of the D.A.R.E. program was just aimed at turning school children into police informants. Yes. Like telling yeah, yes. cops about Their drugs parents. they may have seen at home yes. and stuff, which is pretty fucked up. They turn ordinary kids into stool pigeons. That was the point Nuts, of D.A.R.E. baby. <laughs> That's a dangerous game, man, because nobody likes an informant. Nobody likes a stool pigeon. I'm going to show you in a little game called... Snitches get stitches. Oh. Okay. You guys are going to work together in this game. Put your heads together. I mean, it's tough again. Oh, no. 10 questions about people that have informed, were informants, have ratted somebody out. Rats. Rats. Real dirty rats. Okay, dirty I can do rats. fucking rats. The Gospel of Matthew states that Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus Christ in exchange for this. Uh, a car? <laughs> it was a brand new Dodge Ram. Yeah. It was a 1997 oh, a Well, Dodge now you understand. <laughs> yeah. 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver for him. Well, guess how much you could have gotten Ram for right now. This whole <laughs> thing on the internet is like, if Jesus had a gun, he'd still be alive. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's great. That's just amazing. This studio head and entrepreneur was an FBI informant from 1940 until his death in 1966, even being made special agent in 1954. Studio head? Studio head and entrepreneur. Howard Hughes? Walt Disney. Oh. Yeah. So all those things you told Walt Disney when you were a kid. He fucking that makes told sense. He, he testified for the blacklist. Speaking of that, in 1952, he named eight former colleagues who he said had been communists to the House on american Activities Committee. Dimitrik. Elia Kazan. Elia Kazan is correct. I'm sure multiple people probably named. That wasn't a very specific oh, sorry. question. Sorry. <laughs> yes. Uh, multiple people probably named. But Elia Kazan was the correct answer to the question. Yes. His informant story was popularized in the 1991 crime film Goodfellas. Henry Hill. That is correct. In 1978, this performer turned informant after being caught with just over 650 grams of cocaine, reducing his sentence from possible life in prison to just three to seven years, of which he served just two years and four months. James Brown? It was Tim Allen. Oh. Tim Allen with the performant. cocaine. 
Performant. Performant and informant. Performer and informant. Oh. Convicted of espionage in 1951, they became the first American civilians to be executed by the federal government for espionage in 1953. It's the Rosenbergs. Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. Julius and Ethel. Correct. In the 1992 film Reservoir Dogs, this is the undercover cop Tim Roth's bank heist codename. Is it Mr. Yellow? No, Mr. No. Mr. White? Mr. Orange. Orange. God, Mr. Orange. I was in, see, I had the citrus. Yeah. You know, you're in the right family. You're in the right tree, wrong branch, my young man. In May of 2005, Vanity Fair revealed that Watergate informant Deep Throat was actually this man. Mark Felt. That is correct. I think, didn't I just, the other day, we were just talking talking about about that, yeah. This civil rights activist became an FBI informant when he allegedly recorded incriminating conversations with the Genovese and Gambino crime family mobsters, contributing to the indictments of several underworld figures. Jesse Jackson? Oh, Al Sharpton? It is Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton was an informant for the FBI. Anna Sage was a Romanian immigrant who came to America in 1909 and collected $5,000 for information that led to the eventual killing of this American gangster in 1934. Lucky Luciano? John Dillinger. Oh. She ratted out John Dillinger. Oh. And got some money for it. Sure. So I don't know if you guys, uh, you guys are fucking rat? Any of you guys are fucking rat? I wouldn't rat on nobody. You wouldn't rat on nobody, are you a fucking rat over there? I ain't ain't no rat. (laughs) Okay, that's weird, but (laughs) checks out. I swear. You can cut my fucking tongue out. I'm going to say nothing. All right. All right. right. Before you cut your tongue out, why don't you tell uh, listeners where they can find us if they want to get more information? I said I'm not telling nobody. Rob, you have please, to promote we, the please, podcast. You have we, to talk. We need to. We I need to. say nothing. Rob, no, we need to tell you. Go ahead. You kill my fucking family. No, wait. It's not going to get go that ahead. far. You are go ahead. I don't care. Of this show. Instagram. Go to it's at this was a thing pod, or you can go to www.thiswasathing.com. Dot 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 stool pigeon. No, you can go to patreon.com slash this was the thing. Old Lucy level five dollars a month gets you so much exclusive content. You can hear Rob do tons of tons of fun gangster voices and talking like uh, gangster stuff and Mother. oh my there's more see there's a little there's a little he been helping for you and that's what you can get over at patreon.com Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cutcut Schwartzberg, our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese, our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford, our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing Too Graphic DeSavia, and finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at This Was A Thing Pod and Facebook we are This Was A Thing Podcast. Reach out, we'd love to hear from you. And if you really like what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was A Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show. 